Support for this episode of Judaism Unbound comes from the Oshman family JCC in Palo Alto, California, whose vision is to be the architects of the Jewish future. The Oshman family JCC is an incubator for new expressions of Jewish identity. It creates innovative Jewish learning, celebrations, and arts programs that inspire personal connections to people and ideas from across the Jewish world. Learn more at www.paloaltojcc.org. This is Judaism Unbound, episode 189, six days a week. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dan Liebenson. And I'm Lex Rothberg. And although we're in a series on Jewish education, we're going to take breaks every once in a while to feature a new book that's coming out that we think might make for a great Hanukkah present, or in the case of the book that we're featuring today, something that you could go ahead and order and it'll come to your house in time to bring it to Yom Kippur services to read during the boring parts. Our guest today is Tiffany Schlein. She is the author of 24-6, The Power of Unplugging, One Day a Week. It's the story about how she and her family have been experimenting over the last decade with the idea of a tech Shabbat, the idea that on Shabbat, from Friday night to Saturday night, their family doesn't use any screens. Now, you don't have to agree with that specific idea to find the process that Tiffany Schlein and her family have gone through fascinating. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that what she has done here is the fantasy version of what the world might look like if people went out there and all were experimenting with one or another piece of Judaism, playing with it until they found something that worked for them, and then finding a way to share that with the world, and putting it into a larger conversation about what are all the various pieces of Judaism that that might benefit from a little bit of revision and some reimagination, and then over time trying to put those pieces back together again. We're really excited to share this conversation. Our guest today is filmmaker Tiffany Schlein. She is the co-founder and executive director of Let It Ripple Film Studio, whose mission is to use film technology, discussion materials, and live and virtual events to engage people in conversation and action around complicated subjects that are shaping our lives, and to update these topics through an engaging, accessible 21st century lens. Tiffany Schlein may be best known in the Jewish community for her film The Tribe, an 18-minute short film that calls itself an unorthodox, unauthorized history of the Jewish people and the Barbie doll. She has also made a wide variety of other fascinating films, including one on the science of character and a Jewish take on that called Making of a Mensch. Tiffany Schlein doesn't only make films, however. She tends to take the subjects of her films and what she finds and turn it into something really quite big and fascinating, such as Character Day an annual event in which hundreds of thousands of people all over the world gather together to develop and deepen their character. Tiffany Schlein is also the founder of the Webby Awards, known as the Oscars of the Internet. You can learn more about all of Tiffany Schlein's projects at letitripple.org, and you can connect to all sorts of resources relating to the new book at 246life.com. That's the number 24, S-I-X, life.com. So let's jump right into this conversation. Tiffany Schlein, welcome to Judaism Unbound. It's so great to have you. It is so nice to be here. Well, we are so excited about your book because we're always speculating on this podcast about what it might be like if people took more ownership over their Jewish experience and played around with Jewish content and reimagined things. And it's exciting to actually talk to somebody who's doing that. We've also actually talked about that that should be done by what we called regular Jews, not necessarily rabbis or other authorized people, but people who just say, I can do this. And so it's a, it's a great pleasure and it's exciting to talk to you about this. And I guess I wanted to start off for our listeners just 
just with a little bit of description about what your Shabbat looks like. Yeah, well, first, I just want to say I love that, that we can engage, the regular Jews can engage with these ideas. And if you look at the history, that was a long period of Judaism where you didn't need rabbis to do things. And then I think, I think we, or I felt that it was, you could only engage a certain way if you were a certain kind of Jew. So it's been very exciting to really engage with so many Jewish ideas that I've done in a lot of my work. But going back to what my Shabbat looks like, we always invite friends and family over. It's always a great boisterous group. Um, we have screens off. So people come and there are no screens. They're all shut down, usually right before the guests arrive and guests are told not to bring them. We, oh, we make fresh challah every Friday. Um, and we do these, we bring the table together. We do the blessings and it goes on. We have musical instruments around. It's, it's, it's just a beautiful night of engagement. But then the next day is really much more still. Um, my husband and I usually get up before the kids and we, we journal, we read articles we wish we had had time to do. And when the kids get up, we make art, we go out in nature, we nap, we read, we do nothing, um, we play board games. And, uh, and then we don't wait for the three stars in the sky, but at 5 p.m., our tech Shabbat, what I'm describing to you is what my family calls a technology Shabbat because it's so integrated and no screens, which is so life-changing in our modern 24-7 screen-addicted world. Um, and the kids have their double date with technology. <laughs> they go back online. And Ken and I go out uh, for our own date. And I get re-energized uh, thinking about the potential of technology again. And I'm so happy to have had a day without it all, um, one day every week. So we've done that for like 10 years. And it's uh, been the best thing that we've ever done. So can you describe how this all started, this idea of the Tech Shabbat? So um, I'm, I'm Jewish. I did not grow up with Shabbat. And I grew up really wrestling with a lot of ideas of Shabbat. And I met Ken, who is Jewish, and he grew up with Shabbat. But again, when I say that, he grew up with Friday night dinners, which I think most of my friends, that's what they'd call Shabbat. But now that I understand the full day off is like the full Megillah of Shabbat, like that seems like one third of it to me now. So we did it kind of on various permutations of it, but usually at most it was a dinner. And I'm part of the first class of Reboot, um, which is, if your audiences don't know, it's a, a group of um, Jews who might not be viewed as traditionally uh, Jewish. <laughs> well, no, that's not the right way to describe it. They're kind of a punk rock band of creative types who um, come together and re rethink things. We did a national day of unplugging 10 years ago, and it was like one ceremonial day, no screens, and... I had just lost my father and my husband and I just had our daughter within weeks of each other. It was a pretty traumatic period in my life. And one thing I knew for sure about these life events happening was I wanted to be more focused with the people I loved. So we did this national day of unplugging and we never stopped. And I think we're the only ones, but we just did it. It was like, oh my gosh, this feels so good. And it really was almost doing a full version of what we had always kind of did. And when you jump in full, can I say full hog? <laughs> when you jump in full hog on Shabbat, it just was very deep. And to me, the much deeper part was the next day part for me than the dinner. Not much deeper, but the, the kind of the big epiphany came on how the stillness and the quiet and the, that part was just the thinking, the reflection that was so huge for me. So, and I don't think we get that anymore with just the way we're living. So um, after, you know, our, our teenage daughter loves it. Our 10-year-old loves it. It is our favorite day of the week. And I feel like 
I never thought I'd write a book about it, but the longer we did it, the more deep it got and the more crazy our society became. So rereading the wisdom of Shabbat and really thinking about it for a modern era has been really exciting. So this idea of no screens on Shabbat, can you give us the whole picture of what you do and don't do? And, you know, you're really, you know, you're not uh, a traditional Jew in the way that we think of uh, religious practice, but you're really religious about this. So I'd love for our (laughs) listeners to be able to understand the details about it. I mean, I think that's what is so interesting to me about all of this. Most people just assume, because they maybe know I do the text, they assume I'm very religious, which is always an interesting place for people to meet me because I'm not religious. And I actually only thought that people that took a full day off of Jew- for Shabbat were Orthodox Jews. And I didn't really think I could engage with it this way. So to get down to the nitty gritty is we have a landline for real. Um, and I encourage that in the book. It's good for emergencies too, but that's what we use if we want to call someone. Um, we have a record player. We play music on that, and we also do use the Alexa for a timer because that doesn't have a screen. And for us, it's about the rabbit hole of the screen that takes people out of the moment. Um, we, I use a Sharpie and a big white pad of paper to write down any thoughts I have. Um, and when we make plans with people, they know they're not going to um, be texting us every waking moment of meeting us at the plan. Like, I'll be there, I'm parking, I'm like, who cares? Like, we'll either be there, we won't. We've done it with two kids in soccer. A lot of people want to know that. And it's a day about no phones and no, no TV, no laptop, no iPad. People usually want to know that detail. Yes, no screens. Life is beautiful without screens. We've forgotten that. And I think Shabbat is a wonderful framework to bring that back in. And, you know, I've reread so much Heschel during this whole process. And he talks about building a palace in time. And that's what I feel like we do to our home every week. I mean, it's really like I'm living in the 70s or 80s, you know, (laughs) it's like, that's what it's like, go back. It's like, and you're back in your home in the 80s when your phone was stuck to the wall and you listen to music different ways and you couldn't, you weren't available to the whole world every second and the whole world wasn't available to you every second. And I think we don't realize how much that just changes our every movement. We're responding to everything and everyone else instead of ourselves. And I think Shabbat is about quieting the wind on the water, which is actually a Buddhist expression. It's like you can't see in the water if there's just wind blowing across it and it's just reflecting everything else. How do we quiet the wind on the water? And that's what I feel like I do every week. To what extent are you taking on a a very traditional ancient practice of Shabbat? I mean, what you are doing something that has precedent in Jewish tradition for a very long time in, in that you are one-seventh of the week, and specifically on Friday night through Saturday, marking it as different and refraining from certain activities. So on the one level, there's something deeply ancient here. But I also think, and I'm curious where, where you're at on this, I also think you're doing something very new. Because in making the specific set of choices that you're making, that is, the, the choices you're making actually couldn't have happened um, even to, to use your language in the 70s or 80s, like you couldn't choose to refrain from the internet before the internet. Mm. And also like when when various forms of screen technology came to be, like there were actually vigorous debates about whether they would be not allowed on Shabbat. Like it's actually not totally clear based on the, the yeah. various rules people follow that they automatically would be. So I'm curious, like to what extent do you conceptualize this as an old practice, to what extent do you see it really as a new practice, like something that is powerful because it is of our time? And I guess, and this relates to 
to conversations we're constantly having on the podcast, what power might we be able to take from the fact that it actually is a new practice and a, and a specific a specific take on Shabbat that that is sort of of our time and could be of future times? I love that question. I mean, my favorite things to do are with great respect to the old and rethinking for modern times. So I think if you looked at all of my work, so much is that. So both. Um, but you're right. This is, um, you know, I've heard of people don't use their phone. Maybe they don't bring it on vacation, maybe not before bed, all this stuff. That's great. But I actually think we need the strictness of a boundary because the wisdom of Shabbat is you need a day that feels different. You need a day that's protected and that is a space different from all other days. And I think in these modern times, it is about the technology. So I'm happy and excited to really try to have people try this in a strict way. And right now, you know, we're, we have these challenges to build your muscle to lead up to a tech Shabbat that we just started that people can check out. You can do them anytime you hear this. Um, but it's kind of four weeks leading up to trying a tech Shabbat for four weeks because that's how you build habit. But I think we don't even realize how much we're influenced by the smartphone. We wake up to it. We go to bed to it. We're pinged. We're, I'm like a marionette doll, like responding to it. I actually have turned off every notification on my phone except for from my family, which has been really wonderful. And I don't wake up to it anymore. So I do all these things throughout the week too, which I'm happy to get into if you want. But really the Shabbat part and really being strict around the technology, the screen technology that can take you out of being present I think is really important to discuss right now. Well, I, I would actually like to hop on to the question of the, what what this practice has uh, had you do for the rest of the week, but but also in a, in a larger context, because I think it's important for our listeners to sort of understand that the way that Shabbat practices evolved is basically, I'm going to say this in a very abbreviated way, but basically the Torah says you should rest on Shabbat. And then the Talmud says, what does rest mean? And they say, well, there were these 39 activities that were part of the building of the tabernacle and anything that looks like one of those activities we're not going to do on Shabbat. That's how we're going to define rest. So that's number one. And then number two is that traditionally there's this idea of Shabbat as what's called a taste of the world to come, right? The idea that not we, it's not only that we should do things on Shabbat for the sake of doing them on Shabbat or just to rest, but that somehow in doing them on Shabbat, we can then take them back into the week with us in, in a smaller way. But Shabbat gives us this intense taste of it. And so I guess I'm curious on, on both of those levels, because but but mostly focusing, at least for now, on the question of the, the 39 tasks, the 39 forms of activity, because it feels to me like what you're saying is that in our modern time, there's something that's missing from that list of 39. And actually, in some ways, the most important thing, the, the thing that's really driving us, the thing that's really feels like work all the time. And and you're focusing on that almost. And I guess I would question, I would I would ask about this too, like almost to the exclusion of the others, right? I mean, you're not Absolutely. saying, let me no, add a 40th. You're saying, let me just do this yes. one. But then at the same time, you're saying, let me, I'm going to take this so seriously, right? A lot of people who don't observe Shabbat traditionally don't really have a critique of the practices of Shabbat. They're just like, oh, it's too much. It's too hard to do it in this kind of very serious religious way. You're, you're saying, no, 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 we're going to keep that part. We're going to be super religious about it, super serious about it. And, but I'm just going to define it as anything that has a screen, you know, you can't go near. Well, it's interesting. I love that you're bringing up the tabernacle and the 39 things because, you know, I have friends um, actually... Oh, somebody that I've worked with on a lot of my movies and she doesn't do any writing, you know, no, no acts of creation, which in 
a really observant definition. That's what you do. And I'm always fascinated with that because actually I love writing on Shabbat. I love reading on Shabbat. I love creating artwork on Shabbat. I just feel like I get into a flow state that I just don't get into during the week because I'm so distracted by this phone. But yeah, what's the modern tabernacle of our time? What is the thing? I mean, this smartphone is a conduit to absolutely everything and even leisure looks like work these days when you have to post it and write something about it and check it. And like it has framed everything in some level as work and being on, being on and being off. And I have a chapter in the book about the history of being on and being off. And I think that's a really important distinction. What makes us feel like we have to be on? Um, I am being strict. I think we need it. You know, sometimes people need to really think of something in a strict way to even pull them a little bit closer to it. And it's just been too loosey-goosey. I think like the phone has just infiltrated our beds, our tables, our everything, our workspaces. I mean, now at our film studio, um, we try to have everyone put their phones in their bags and check it when you go to the bathroom because just seeing a phone off on the table will make you distracted. So we really need to really think about this very powerful object we've created, which brings so much good. I mean, you have to know, I founded the Webby Awards. I'm not anti-tech. I do these global days of discussion, which I'm doing one around the book and one's character and screen use. I could never do without modern technology. So I love it. I love it. Just not all the time. I love it six days of the week. I think we need to have a serious conversation about when is it good to be on and when is it good to be off? When should we be on our screens and when should we, we be present with the people we love? When should we have time for reflection and writing and big picture thinking that drives culture forward? And I don't think we have any time for it anymore. I think that's why we have the president we have. I think that we are distracted to the point where we can't have a big idea anymore. There's so much that I admire about this framework. And, and so I'm starting with that. And I also am going to name what I think probably a lot of our listeners are already thinking. They're probably thinking to themselves, wait, Lex, hold up, man. You every third episode, okay, not that frequently, but like frequently on our show are like constantly railing on people for the idea that we should be like distancing ourselves from technology and Jewish life. So I've, you know, given talks about this and I like spend a lot of my time arguing that maybe we should plug in and like experiment with ways that we actually could specifically use technology on Shabbat and otherwise on holidays, et cetera, to amplify forms of Jewish practice. So I want to name that because I think people might be curious, like, why hasn't that come up yet? Um, now it's going to come up. Um, I find your practice to be beautiful on a number of levels, mostly because it shows to me a deep amount of thought that is not, that is specifically not just defaulting to tradition. Because when I talk to various people who do Jewish tech Sabbaths, you start talking to them, you hear about their practice, and it turns out like they do also refrain from writing. And maybe they do also refrain from landline kinds of technology, you know, those kinds of phone technology. And before long, I feel like it's just sort of, and this isn't a terrible thing, but it's just a contemporary argument for the version of a practice that has been around for a long time. But what you're doing is very specifically choosing one core practice and and scoping a Shabbat around that. Now, I want to push back. Um, I want to think about a few things you've said and see what your thoughts are, because I really appreciate the the functionalism behind, like the idea that the function here is that screens sort of take us out of the world. TV screens, 
iPhone screens, etc. The, the problem with them and why we should take a day off from them is that they take us out of the world and encourage us not to be present. And I think not only do I agree with you, it's it's sort of beyond agreement or disagreement. Like that is an empirical fact that lots of scientific studies have shown. Right. That said, I have a couple like Talmudic scenarios to throw out. Like I'm imagining that we're we're making our own new Talmud that we're like telling a story and arguing about. You or somebody like you is 85 and lives in assisted living and can't go to synagogue, um, went to synagogue growing, liked going to synagogue. I know the three of us might have different levels of liking synagogue, but this person likes going to synagogue and, and finds value in that community or just likes participating in some form of Jewish communal life. Um, they can't go physically. They're unable to, but their synagogue offers live stream services on Friday nights that are available for free online. My my Talmudic question for you is how would you approach that from your lens of a of a screen Shabbat? And my other question is about books. So there's two Talmudic questions. Um, if the issue is that we retreat into our own universes and screens take us out of the moment, my argument that I always say to people is then you shouldn't read books, especially fiction on your Shabbat because they do the exact same thing. Okay. And so that I ask people about that because often when they say that they're taking Shabbat, they say like, I, I catch up on reading and I never get to read. And I'm like, that's just as much a retreat into your own universe. Okay, like, okay. Unless I have so much to um, say about yeah, okay. like, wanna, so, okay. so those two scenarios, elderly person okay, who okay. can't access and, and then books, what would your response be to those? Boom. Thank you. Those are great points. So the first one about the 85-year-old in a retirement home, assisted living home, who only can find community through this way. I think that's an exception, of course. I, I personally, I tap into um, Rabbi Amichai Lalovi's uh, High Holidays in New York when I'm in San Francisco, and I love it. I love it. I, I watch his service in the morning before I go to my temple here in the Bay Area. So I, and I love the idea of using modern technology. He also was the first rabbi I ever saw that had a projection screen. So instead of looking down at our prayer works, we were all looking up together. I loved it. He's shown my movies at his services. I'm like, bring it on. Let's experiment with how we're experiencing these ideas. Okay, so that's number one. So I think for the 85-year-old woman who's isolated, um, I hope she would try to gather a Shabbat at the assisted living place. But I think that's an exception because... It's about community, and that is an exception. And as we know about Shabbat, there's a lot of loopholes and exceptions. Okay. But I, I guess I would also say to that, if that's the only way she's finding community, I would also really encourage that any human would try to seek in-person community because nothing replaces that, nothing. And there's so much neuroscience in my book. I go into that eye contact with another person, breaking bread across the table from someone. So much research backs up how important that is. So I hope that would never replace that. Um, number two, books. So we just sent out um, Angela Duckworth, who is an amazing professor at UPenn and wrote the book Grit. And she just um, released this research about how much reading builds empathy. So I talk about in the book about when you're guided to on your smartphone, you're guided to sensational headlines, you're guided to FOMO, and the list goes on. I would say with a book and a film, Although I do not allow a film, we do not watch any movies on Shabbat um, because, again, we need. I think creating this boundary is really important. But reading, you can experience great empathy in a book. Now, when my family is all in the living room and everyone's reading, 
I find that to be a beautiful time. It's not the whole part of our day, but to be parallel reading instead of parallel scrolling is a much more beautiful way to have a moment together. And I, I wish we had more time for undistracted reading. Um, my other daughter was reading and I know she was being pinged by her iPad. And I said, you have to put that in the other room because you're not going to go deeply into this book. So I, I hear you. I think you're bringing up an interesting point because if, if we're talking about being present, a book takes you out of being present. I would hear you. But I would say a book is a beautiful way to walk in someone else's footsteps. And I actually read a lot of wisdom on Shabbat. So you could say it would be like reading the Torah. I have different books that I dip into that I want to think deeply about. So Shabbat for me is this space to think deeply about things where I know I'm not going to be distracted. And that's a very different reading. There's, there's been, you know, we're reading more than ever, but we're skimming. We're skimming. We are living in a skimming, scrolling culture. And on Shabbat, I put aside the New Yorker article, the New York Times, some book thing I really want to go and be focused on. And I, I don't know if we have time like that anymore. I mean, I love this conversation. You know, I want to point out to our readers, uh, our readers. Uh, <laughs> That's what happens when we talk about books. Yeah. We think we are one. <laughs> we are working on a book. Um, oh, cool. I love this conversation. I really want to point out to our listeners that the conversation that we're having now sounds a lot like the conversations that there are in the Talmud, which is basically like everyone agrees about a certain principle, but then we start poking at the the edges of it to say, but is this really consistent with that? But more important than whether this is consistent or not consistent is the question of like, what's the best way to make this thing work in the real world? You know, and is this really necessary? Is this going too far? Is this not going far enough? You know, and, and I think one of the examples is that as you describe how the, the moment came in 2007, which is, by the way, very true for me also, where the iPhone came out and that kind of changed everything. And now we have these screens that we take with us everywhere. You know, it's interesting that one potential response to that could be no smartphones on Shabbat. But yeah, you could watch TV because, you know, but you but you've said no screens. And it's interesting to to probe at this question of why no screens versus no phones or, or some other variant of that. That's a good question. I guess so many people, I mean, the majority of people I know don't even watch films on their TV anymore. It's on their laptop. And you're, I mean, how many times have you watched a Netflix show or something and then like you get like three notifications? I mean, as a filmmaker, I think the horror, I'm trying to get your attention and focus on a story and you're being pinged. Like one time I was watching a show and my Chrome, the bottom was like bouncing with like five different things on it to get my attention. So I think the rule and, you know, I think rules are good. I think, you know, as a parent, you know, I can tell you rules, kids thrive with a certain amount of rules. And I know that our family thrives with this no screen rule. And we always go to the movies on Saturday night, but I'll tell you, we go to the movies in a movie theater because I just finding I'm not enjoying the experience as much of watching things on now in my home because it's just too many things to pull me away from it. So when I go to a movie theater, in some ways, I was trying to think about this, like, movie theater, like the Shabbat for a story experience, because you're totally focused, you're in a dark room, you're separated from everything else. And, you know, as a storyteller, I don't, I don't want to experience things with so many distractions. So for us, the no screens is really about how it's no laptop, no iPad, no, you know, we rarely watch things on the TV anymore. It's, it's all through so many different devices. So it just is a clean line. And I think it's helpful for today, because I think what I'm saying is probably true for a lot of people listening. I didn't think we were going to talk about the Talmud today, but like I actually really think that there's something here. I think that what what this 
Thread Opens Up is a conversation about contemporary Jewish life that is the same. It, it's not even like we're we're mapping the Talmud on tonight. Like they were looking at their world in you know the the two hundred year approximately two hundred through the year approximately seven hundred and saying like okay what are all of the issues of our lives let's figure out how to how to deal with them through the lens of like sort of the Torah but really through the mixture of the Torah and their own conversations and and like that's what we're doing this is this is a new issue of our time and we're we're wrestling with it so I, I want to like to me the way you spoke about Netflix popping up. I hope this doesn't sound like a stretch, but I'm thinking of an, of a Talmudic principle. I'm thinking of the idea of a fence around the Torah. So there's this whole idea that you have certain rules that are like enshrined as rules. I like what you said. You know, we need rules. Um, but then you have some rules that like it's not so much that they're the law itself. It's they're they're rules for precautionary purposes. They they protect you from breaking a different rule. Mm. So there's the idea that. Um, and we've, we've talked about this in very different conversations, but there's the idea that you don't mix meat with dairy that comes up in the Talmud. Mm-hmm. And then as sort of a precautionary thing, even though chicken isn't actually meat, it's, you know, fowl, it's sort of, there, there's, a, there's a rule made that eventually, much later, but eventually you don't mix chicken with dairy because like if you did that, it might lead to mixing meat with dairy. And I'm thinking of the Netflix thing, like, it's not so much that watching a film, I, I'm trying, I don't want to paraphrase you incorrectly, but what I gleaned from what you said is it's not so much that on its own watching a movie is so bad. It's that when you do so, there's this potential of all these notifications coming in. Yes, that's um, exactly and- right. It's just that you're, yeah, it's the adjacency of so much other of our lives and distractions and work and is that outside world getting into your palace in time? How do you create a real palace and protected space? And in how permeable is your space? And I think we've created a society where there's, there's no separation between anything. And I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's good. And I think that it, that's what Shabbat was originally about, a day of rest. We, I wrote an op-ed for the Boston Globe all about rethinking Labor Day in our 24/7 society because you know here even the labor movement we fought for the weekend you know there was bloody battles in the streets of Chicago for a weekend and now we've just given it away i mean we just were available to everyone all the time there was some study that 63% of people feel like they need to respond to their boss on the weekend what is that like it's not healthy we we knew it wasn't healthy and now we've we're just available. And even to family and friends, I have to say, I love my family and friends, but on Friday night, unless they're coming over for Shabbat, which a lot of them do, I'll be like, I'll talk to you on Sunday. And it's, it's good. It's like, you know, there's, it's good to just have every week to have a little space for yourself. If you're single, to have a little self-reflection. If you're in a partner time for your relationship, if you're in a family time for your family, it's good to create, not let the whole world into that. What's interesting is as much as I described that I do consciously and purposefully use my phone on Shabbat, we, you and I share a goal. Like we actually both share as a foundational goal that Shabbat will be a time of A, rest from work. I consciously don't use my phone or anything for purposes related to the work I do during the week. Um, two, we agree that, that this is focused on family time and friends and relationships. And I very consciously do that. And I, in addition to, not, to the not responding to texts about work or whatever, like I don't set up 
meetings of any kind. Like I, I don't I don't schedule things mm. on Shabbat because I want the, them to be open to sort of whatever arises. And the third piece is that I've and this um you haven't quite stated directly, but I think it's implied, is I care very deeply that just even independent of the content, that Shabbat is different from the rest of the week. Yes. That's part of the whole point is that you separate it and mark it as distinct. And and the way I do that is a through the practices I just described with not doing anything related to work, etc. Um, and B, so I'm a vegetarian, and during the week I am fully vegetarian, and on Shabbat I eat fish. There's a variety of reasons for that, um, but for me, what that does is it marks the day as a day of a little bit of increased joy. It's not that like eating fish gets me like super revved up, yeah. But it's like a little bit different and a little bit of a nice thing, yeah. And also, you know, we don't do this every week, but um, my wife and I we like candle, like we like candles. There's different ways that I make a point for it to be different. Yeah, this is the part that's crazy from a non-religious but cultural Jew, is that I think I have. I think at the core, we're talking about the same thing. And I think at the core, I'm talking about the same thing as Orthodox Jews. The core is about a day different from other days, a day of rest and presence and gratitude. We haven't talked about gratitude, but that feels like very much a part of my practice too, is I really stop the hustle and bustle. And my husband and I lead very busy lives. Like I'm sure a lot of your listeners, like two working parents and kids and all these commitments. And we, this is a day that I feel like we focus on the best parts of ourselves. We're, we're with each other in a very different way. So I agree with you. It's a day different. I make challah on Shabbat, you know, with my girls and uh, I don't do that any other <laughs> week and I, whatever. And I think that's mostly my invitation to people reading the book 24 six is that there's so many beautiful ideas here and you might do them slightly different for yourself and your family. But if the core is the same and I would really love for people to rethink what that phone means to them. And I even invite you to rethink that because I think, I think you should get a landline because for any natural disaster, it's super important and people have forgot. I live in earthquake town. We need landlines, but I think, I think people don't realize how much they associate with that phone and, and just thinking about that, I think, is a really important thing to be doing right now because it's manipulating us in all sorts of ways. Um, there's so many good things, obviously, connecting with family and friends. But, you know, there's a lot of things happening with our data. We've given it away for free because we use all these tools for free. And, and people are buying and selling information about us to manipulate us. And I, we need to be aware of that, too. So I think there's a lot of good co that comes from it. But if we really took a true day away from it, we'd have the time to think about what it's doing more. And I think people do not have their arms or their heads around how much it is manipulating us. I want to I want to pick up on on something that you said and 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 sort of really probe at it because you said like many of us say, including me, I'm I'm not religious. I'm a cultural Jew. Um, and and I want to really sort of think about what we mean when we say that, because, you know, almost by holding up the 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 contrary, because I think when people say that they mean some version of I'm not orthodox. And and I think that when we think about sort of the way Judaism uh, traditionally works for orthodox folks, I think that there are really kind of three issues going on. One is what is the source of this? Do we believe that God want, you know, specifically wanted us to do all these things or do we not believe that? Number two, whether we believe that or not, um, do we believe that Judaism ought to operate as a legal system? And, um, and if we don't believe that, 
you know, do we have some notion of Judaism as something like a legal system, but different? Or do we think that Judaism should be totally different from that and not have any connection to a legal system at all? Like, you know, oh, we're just about tikkun olam, you know, we're just about making the world a better place any way that you think you might be able to do that. I think that what I hear from you and something that we've explored a lot on the podcast lately, and we is this idea of grappling towards what we might call a new Jewish halacha, you know, something which halacha is generally translated as Jewish law, but it actually means a path or a way, and it doesn't have to be law. But there are ways in which you've described, and I've said a few times, you know, you're so religious about this. What I mean by it is that you're so strict about it that, like, I think the problem with a lot of Jewish practices that people pick up on is it's like, it's not necessarily that they don't want to be strict about their practices. It's just like, if I'm going to be strict about my practices, practices, I have to be really sure that they're going to do the work that I'm trying to do in my life. And I don't know that these ancient practices all do that. And so we need to go through a process of, of reimagining what the, what the practices of Judaism ought to be. But once we've done that, we should be really strict about it. Now, I want to ask you a little bit uh, about that with regard to this, but also I want to bring in your other work on character and, and Musar and yeah. habits, because I think that the whole question of habits is really what's in play here. There's a difference between values and habits. And what I think that Judaism is has been particularly focused on, maybe more so than any other religion, is the idea that it's not enough to have values. It, in fact, having values is actually not that significant. What's really significant is how you put those values into play. And Judaism has a very, or traditionally has had, a very particular way of doing that through almost, you know, automaton-like sort of habitual behaviors. And and I guess I'm wondering what your work on habit and on, on that sort of all says about, yeah, that's actually a good thing. I mean, maybe with some limits, but we actually have to figure out how to bring that back into Jewish life. Oh my gosh. That was, I love that. Okay. I'm so glad you went there. You guys are asked. This is like sort of the most fun podcast I, I have ever had. Um, I love all these questions. They're so smart. They're so good. Okay. What I love about Judaism, I would say, are the ri- rituals, practices, and ethics. I don't believe in God. I'm saying that here. I, I don't like the, the word God. I don't like the patriarchal framework. It really bothers me. I think we're perpetuating um, very patriarchal, angry structures. And I don't want to engage with that. That's not my story. I mean, you should come to our Passover Seder. We bring in the women. We try to give, <laughs> really apply it to today. Um, but anyways, going back to the religion part, words have power. And the framing of God does not work for me. It shuts me down. Now, that being said, I do believe in something greater than ourselves. I believe and, and, you know, Albert Einstein spoke the most clearly, what he said articulated the most how I feel, and it's in nature. What he said was, I have a humility for the complexity that I don't understand. Boom. That is very similar to how I feel, but I don't frame it in the language of God. And I have great respect for the history of these stories, um, but I really look for the essence of what that story is about, and I like to rethink it. So for me, Shabbat. I'm rethinking it for today, and I'm not saying God has mandated it for me at all. And it's funny that you say I'm really religious about the practice, because I've had rabbis say that to me before. You're the most religious person I know, and I like laugh at it, because I'm, I just, that word is so loaded for me. Um, I do think, um, I made this film, so at my film studio, we did this event called Character Day, which is really about the neuroscience and social science of character. 
And I made a film called The Science of Character, which is an eight minute long film about the positive psychology movement. Very interesting to note that a lot of character scientists are Jewish, but they usually don't talk about that in their books. But made this film, we released it, and all these Jewish educators were like, why didn't you talk about Musar? And I didn't know about it. I was like, what's Musar? And they were like, what's the Jewish science of character? So then I did this deep dive into Musar. I loved it. And it's basically, it's going through um, all Jewish learning and cherry picking all the ideas around character development, habit forming, and practices. And so here, so many Jews go to meditation and yoga, but it's all in Judaism, but we just don't, a lot of people don't know about it. So I made a film called The Making of a Mensch that um, looked at all these ideas. And again, in a non-religious way. And I had someone who's a very influential figure in the Musar movement saying, I loved your film, but I don't understand how you can talk about it without talking about God. And I said, well, that's where we differ. I, I, I love that you talk about it that way. That's great. But for me, that's not what this is about. It's because I think this is a, a good way to lead a meaningful and purposeful life. And I think a lot of ideas around Judaism, Shabbat, taking a day that's different with family and friends and for reflection, is a good way to lead a meaningful and purposeful life. Thinking about slavery and freedom is a good way to live a meaningful and purposeful life. All of these things to me, I just don't frame in God and I frame around meaning and purpose. And, um, and, I, and that's where it comes down to Shabbat. A full day of Shabbat, the only people I knew that did that were Orthodox Jews or super observant religious Jews. And I just was like, oh, I guess I, I really can't do that. And then when we did, I was like, not only can we do this, I think everybody should do this. Wow, it's changed my life. It's brought so much meaning and purpose. It's grounded me. It's reframed my week. It's reframed my family. We have this one day that's so solid and so present and, and, it, and it keeps us going the other six days. What I'm interested in, you're talking a little bit about based on your other work is like this question of, um, I think a lot of, you know, quote, reform or cultural or secular Jews say like, like they don't, I think that they, my, this is my own personal, you know, but like, I think they don't understand the power of habit, the power of, 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 right, of, of saying like, I don't decide whether to do something on any given day. I, I, I develop a decision point at some point in my life that I'm never going to do or I'm always going to do like you've done with Shabbat and that there's a neuroscience based or some other human there is, nature that, reason yes. why this isn't a good thing to do. Yeah. And I go into that a lot in the book about the neuroscience of um, ritual habit, um, the psychology around changing behavior um, we are all very addicted to our phones. How do you change that behavior and replace it with something beautiful? So you become addicted to the joy and the eating fish on Shabbat. <laughs> no, but you get addicted to the joy and it's about replacing that habit with something else. So we do talk a lot about building habits, changing behavior. That's what character days are about. And we do, it's fun to see the science to just back up what you inherently already knew, but then you like have the science to back up this like thousands of year old practice that that's why Shabbat's good. It's, and you're going to sleep better and you're going to be reflective. You're going to daydream and you're going to feel more productive afterwards, afterwards. And here's all the science on why. So I'm interested in both. I, I talk about the ritual, but in the book, I go into the history, the philosophy, the psychology, the neuroscience social science behind why it is so good for you. And I get really practical. I think that's another thing when you asked about, like, I, I would say the book 
Well, I'd be curious what you guys thought, but it feels like half big picture in the science and, and then half extremely practical. How do you convince your kids? How do you convince your boss? How do you bring this into your life? How, what does this exactly look like? And that's what you're talking about with a habit is every week is a new week to try it again and to see how to make it feel really good for your family or yourself or your kids. Thank you for bringing this into our show. Thank you for featuring in your book so many voices that have been important to our podcast and amplifying them. Um, some of those episodes are in the show notes on our website if folks are if folks are interested in listening to them. Um, but just in general, thanks for all the work you're doing, and um, it's been a pleasure having you on. Oh, this has been just. It's been a great conversation. Your questions were both. Both of your questions were just. I like all the places you took this conversation. So thank you very much. Well, we will gratefully accept that. Thank you and bounce it right forward to all of you out there listening. Thank you very much. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We want to remind you that this was a fun little well, the detour, but also part of the whole conversation of Jewish education for sure. But we are in the midst of a Jewish education unit that we will be returning to a little more directly next week and in a number of coming weeks. So stay tuned for all of those episodes. We hope that you'll join us. Uh, we're going to close out this episode in the same way that we always do by encouraging you to be in touch with us. And there a wide variety of ways for you to do that. First, you can head to our Facebook page, Judaism Unbound. Second, you can go to our Twitter feed at, at Judaism Unbound. Third, you can go to our website, JudaismUnbound.com. And last but not least, last but not least, you can email us, Dan at JudaismUnbound.com, Lex at JudaismUnbound.com, either one, both of them, all of it works. The last request we like to make is that we really deeply appreciate any amount of financial donation that you can send our way especially this time of year, right as the new year begins. Uh, we hope that you'll do that. And if you can, it is available at judaismunbound.com donate. And you can send us either a monthly recurring donation or a one-time gift. So thanks so much for listening. And with that, this has been Judaism Unbound.